Matthew chapter 6 is where I want to read from today and, uh, and share some things with you about money. And as you know, I don't talk a lot about money and, and I'm probably not going to talk about it in a way that you perhaps think I might be. Um, but I want to talk today about money. Matthew chapter 6 verse 25 says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Therefore, he said, I say to you, therefore. Uh, when we were in Bible college, we were taught that whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, stop and see what it's there for. And it's a connecting word and it usually connects what is about to be said from what has just been spoken. And it's interesting, the verse prior to this, verse 24, Jesus makes this very bold statement, no one can serve two masters. He will either be loyal to one and despise the other, or he will hate the one and love the other. And then he goes on and he says very, very clearly, you cannot, it's impossible to serve both God and money. You cannot serve God and kingdom purpose and yet spend all your waking hours chasing the dollar. You can't serve God and spend most of your time building your own nest egg for the future. Jesus says very, very clearly, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, he says that in a way that it doesn't even give us a choice. He assumes that we will decide to serve God. So he says, you cannot serve both God and money, therefore. He says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He's assuming that you will choose God rather than the dollar. He said, look at the birds of the air, verse 26. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? In other words, if he looks after them, don't you think he's going to look after you? Your heavenly Father, he says, feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all of his splendor and glory, is not or was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, he says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles or the unbelievers is what he's saying. They seek these things. But he says, your heavenly father knows that you need these things. But then he says those profound words, but seek first. Highest priority in life, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Not just the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, he says, seek first the kingdom, the purpose of the kingdom, the values of the kingdom, the mission of the kingdom, and the righteousness that comes. So there's two things we're told to seek, the kingdom 
and the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things that you worry about will be added to your life. Therefore, he said, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus said, and you will never lack anything in your life. That's a promise directly from the word of God. It's a promise directly from the pages of God's message to mankind. If you will put God first in your life over and above anything else, he will make sure that all the things that you think you need, the things that you actually do need, the things that you want, the things that you desire, he will make sure all of those things overflow into your life. You know, there are there are more than 500 verses in the Bible concerning prayer. And there is nearly 500 verses concerning faith. But did you know that there are more than 2,000 verses in the Bible concerning the subject of money and possessions? Jesus talked about money in 16 of his 38 parables. But the truth is, Whenever Jesus talked about money, and this is a very interesting thing, when you look at the context, when you look at the, the intention, when you look at the issue that he's really addressing, whenever Jesus talked about money, he wasn't actually talking about money. He was talking about trust. It was about trust. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and trust that your heavenly father will look after your life. Money is actually a test from God. It's a test from God. My, my attitude towards money, the way I handle money, the way I manage money, reveals volumes to God about my, my priorities, about my loyalties, about my affections, and about the focus of my trust. My, my attitude to money, the way I manage it and handle it, the way I govern the finances that God brings into my life, through whatever means that might be, how I handle it speaks volumes to God. And it's a test from heaven to see where our, our affections lie, to see where our devotions lie. How I handle money reveals volumes to God. And, and I think most of you who have been around for a long time would recognize and realize that the truth is Jesus yearns that we would be devoted to him and his kingdom purpose, not devoted to our money, our possessions, or our future security. He yearns for us to come to a place of trust. Many of you know that about eight years, nearly nine years ago now, Margot and I had that prophetic word over our life about the rapids. And one of the things that was spoken in that prophetic word was that God is not engineering these things to make it difficult. He's engineering these things because he desperately wants to be God. And what he wants to do in and through church leaders today, he can only do through somebody who's trusting and yielded to his kingdom purpose. 
So he's desperately wanting us to get off the throne and stop leading and controlling out of reason and start being directed out of revelation that what the word of God tells us, the now word of God, the Rema word of God spoken into our life now as we step out in trust and do what he's directing us to do, regardless of how much um, background information we're given, regardless of how much foresight we're given, because often God doesn't give you any foresight. He just says, see, go and do it. And most of the time, there's nothing to see. When he told Joshua to take Jericho, he said, Jer he said, Joshua, see, I have given you the city. And then the next verse says, but the city was completely fortified. He was expected to see through the eyes of faith. He was expected to see through the eyes of trust. And so money is a test to see where our devotion actually lies. The apostle Peter urges us to adopt the same level of devotion that Jesus had to his father and he, he uses these words in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 2, so that you won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires. So the Bible's calling us, put, put aside your dream, put aside your desire and let God's dream and God's desire fill your heart. Pursue that, seek that first and you watch the blessing of God come into your life. You watch the protection of God. You watch the provision of God come into your life. But he doesn't give you the provision before you first trust. He wants us to come to a place where we trust his heart, we trust his purpose, we trust his character, we trust that he is a good God and that he only ever does good and that sometimes he allows us to go through dark times and challenging times and difficult times and oppressing times simply to drive us deeper into a place of trust. Margot and I have been through some challenging seasons in our life. And in particular, the last season was probably the most challenging time in the process of that. But what it did was drive us to our knees into a greater level of trust. And we saw the hand of God bring us through to the other side. Trust is what God is looking for in our life. He says, you won't then spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but what you will be anxious to do the will of God. Your heart will be, God, not my will, but yours be done. Your heart will be, Jesus, I surrender to you and your purpose, and I will follow you, and I will be devoted to you, and I will serve you, and I will put you first. Your purpose, your kingdom, your church, I will put what you are building first in my life. And when I do that, then I know that all of these things will be added to my Life. Paul challenges us along the same lines and he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15, Jesus died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. And how we handle money will tell God where we truly stand. We find a, a very important divinely established financial precedent in the book of Exodus. It was established as the people of God were preparing to leave Egypt. Chapter 12, they are establishing the Passover and, and the whole symbolism of that and what that would mean and the prophetic edge to that of the foretelling of the coming of Christ who would be our Passover lamb. And uh, they're getting ready to, to leave and they kill a lamb and they paint it on the doorpost, the blood of the, the, the lamb on the doorpost, so that when the angel of death struck Egypt, they were preserved, they were protected. But then in chapter 13, as they're getting ready to leave their 430 years of slavery, we read then that the Lord spoke to Moses, chapter 13, verse 1. Consecrate to me all the firstborn, 
Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. It's a very interesting precedent that he's establishing here. Before they leave Egypt, he said, this is the way you guys are going to live. I want you to give me every firstborn. Whatever opens the womb, the first child, the first young one to open the womb, I, I want you to consecrate it to me. And then he says emphatically, it is mine. It belongs to me and I want it. Further down in that same chapter in verse 12, he says, so that you shall, you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb. That is every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the male shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey, an unclean animal. Watch this. Don't miss this. This is very interesting. But the firstborn of a donkey, which was an unclean animal, you shall redeem it with a lamb. In other words, if you have a firstborn donkey, you will take one of your good lambs and you'll sacrifice that in the place of the donkey. But he goes on and says, but if you will not redeem it, then you'll break its neck. Because the firstborn belongs to God. If you want to keep it, you sacrifice a lamb, a clean animal. But if you don't want to sacrifice a lamb, then you break the donkey's neck. I don't want it sacrificed. It's unclean. And then it says, and then all the firstborn of man among your sons, you shall redeem. You get no choice on that. You will redeem. Every time your wife well, the first time your wife opens the womb and produces the firstborn, it belongs to God. But you will redeem that by sacrificing a lamb. Can you see the symbolic parallel? Jesus was God's firstborn. He was God's only born and he was born clean, without sin, sinless, spotless. And he was born pure. Remember the words of John the Baptist, he's at the Jordan River, he's baptizing people and then Jesus comes and the Holy Spirit gives him revelation that standing in front of him is the Messiah and he declares emphatically, behold, open your eyes and see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We were all born unclean. David said, in sin, my mother conceived me. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says, through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all man and therefore all sinned. So we are born in sin. Jesus was born pure, clean, and he was God's firstborn. We were born unclean and, and it, the unclean had to be redeemed with a lamb or its neck broken. The wages of sin is death. So there's the neck breaking for us, but we can be redeemed by the blood of the lamb. So it's very, very symbolic. And in this instance, you've got to see this. God, God never tells us to do something that he's not prepared to do himself. In this instance, he's calling us to seek first the kingdom of God and trust him. Don't wait till you've got all your ducks in a row. Don't wait till you're comfortable and then say, well, now I will give something to God. Now I'll give something to the purpose of God, to the, to the uh, work of God. Now, once I've got everything and I'm comfortable with everything, no, he's saying, I want you to give first priority to my kingdom. I want you to give me the, I want you to give me the firstborn. You know, he doesn't say, wait till your, your you produces 10 lambs and then give me one of them. You think, well, what's the difference? You know, I got 10. No, it's, it's because you're putting your trust in things, the horizontal, rather than trusting God. There was no guarantee that the you would produce any more lambs. He's saying when that womb opens, I want it, and you give it to me, and then trust me with the rest. God, when he sent Jesus, he gave us an example to follow. He trusted. 
He said, well, what did he trust? He trusted that when he gave his firstborn to be sacrificed for us, that we would actually receive him. He trusted that he, he didn't hedge his bets and, and, and see, well, I'm not going to risk my son, the pure spot, if they're going to spit in his face. And in fact, Paul says in Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God says, I'm giving my firstborn and I'm going to trust that the outcome is going to be positive. He's calling us to do the same thing. It's, in, it's interesting that God says the firstborn are his. There's no guarantee that, that that sheep was going to produce any more. It's all about trust. Give me the first and then trust me to take care of the, the rest. It's not about money and it's not about possessions. It's all about trust. It's all about trust. We also had the principle of first fruits, which is a, a very interesting one and it's very similar to the principle of the firstborn, but it's also about trust. And not only do the firstborn belong to God, but the first fruits are his as well. Exodus 23, verse 19, the first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Notice it's the first of the first fruits. It's not the leftovers of the first fruits, it's the first of the first fruits. Margot and I established very early in our marriage that we would be tithers. And we have, have lived by that principle now 30, how long have we been married? Nearly 37 years, 37 years in April, isn't it? We've lived by that principle faithfully. And, and I've copped criticism for it at times from different people, particularly when I'm functioning as a pastor and I, I believe in the biblical concept of tithing. I, I believe it's a New Testament principle. I've taught on that and I've shared uh, that and I believe it was implemented before the law. It's nothing to do with the law. But then those that say, oh, well, it's all part of the Old Testament. We don't need to do that anymore. We're under grace. It's like, well, adultery was wrong under the Old Testament too. And so was stealing. And, and you know, so does that mean we can do all that now? Because you know, just because something was in the law doesn't make it bad. In fact, Jesus said the law is good. Its whole role was to lead us to a saviour, to show us that we couldn't live up to the law. But the principle of tithing, it's something we've lived by. And we, we function like this. We look at our gross income. And we've said that is our total income. We then take one-tenth of that, set it aside for God. After that, the tax comes out. You say, but the tax guy gets it before you get it. Yeah, I know he does, but on paper he doesn't. On paper, I start at the top. The tithe comes out. My offering comes out. And then the tax is the third in the list. And then what's left, I budget on. And we've functioned like that all of our life and endeavoured with our finances to put our finances first for God. And you know something? We have lived sometimes an embarrassingly blessed life. And I'm not ashamed of it. But at times I do feel a little uncomfortable with it because uh, we don't live extravagant lives, but God has been good to us. God has been good to us. And you know, I, 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 uh, I look at this church and the 20 years that we've been leading this church, there have been times where we have gone to the wire financially. And I've sat with Jono and I, I, I don't think we're going to make it this week. And I said, but God, I've put you first all my life. You say, oh, but this is the church now. You know, it's like, hang on a minute. If I'm at the helm, 
You know, what, what, what flows from the top flows down. And I think, God, I'm going to stand on my faithfulness here for the sake of the church. So, God, I'm at the helm right now. I've been faithful. I put you first in my finances. God, breathe on this. And John O reminded me recently of a prophetic word that David McCracken brought over us, said, you will, you will find there are times where you'll think you're not going to make it financially, but you will always have enough. And again, it's God pushing us into a place of trust. I remember just a few years back, we were trying to finalize something in the building. Kylie was, was uh, doing the finances back then. And this still blows me away when I think about it. Jono and I are sitting. I get emotional just, just remembering it. Sitting in the green room down there and we're talking about we needed $50,000 and we didn't have it as a church to finalize something that was critical. It was a bit like the roof. You, you never see it. It's over $200,000 on that roof up there in the last couple of years and you don't see the benefit. It's frustrating. And it was one of those things. It had to be done. We needed fifty grand. And Jono says, we haven't got the money. I said, Jono, let's pray. So right there and then we stopped. We said, Lord, you are the provider. And I'm thinking, well, I've been faithful. I've tithed. I've, I've been generous. I've given over and above tithes. I've done this all my life. Uh, God, you promised that you would be there for us. You promised that you would, you would add all these things to our life. I, I can't remember the time frame, but it was a matter of hours. It wasn't days. It was hours. It was the same day. Jono and I, I think, were still sitting talking when you walked in. She came in and she said, I just wanted to let you know the ushers did a miscount on Sunday. And I'm thinking, stupid ushers, can they count? <laughs> I thought, what's the news? Yeah, they, they counted, we had 10 grand and it was really only one, was it? You know, it's like, so my heart's starting to go a little bit. And Kylie said, well, there was a check in the offering for $5,000. She said, but it wasn't for 5000 it was for 50000 I'm convinced with all my heart, God blinded the eyes of the ushers because he knew two men were going to sit two days later and pray, we need $50,000. She walks in in that moment. And I'm, you, know, you can never outgive God. If you put first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added to your life. If you live life generous towards God and your priority is kingdom purpose and you, you live with that value in your life, you will find overflow into your life will always happen. It will always happen. It's the first of the first fruits. It's an interesting verse. It's not the leftovers. There was no guarantee the crop wouldn't fail. It's only the first fruits. God said, I want it. It's mine. You think, God, you don't need this. I need this. It's like God doesn't need it. But what he needs is for you to be blessed. And the way for you to be blessed is through the avenue of trust. What are you trusting in? What are you hanging on to? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the what? The first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. I want that kind of a lifestyle. And I've been living that for the last 37 years. I've been married to Margot. And I think I've shared this with you. There was a time we went through a season in the early days of our marriage where I, I sat and I, I cannot afford to tithe. Margot said, we cannot afford not to tithe. He said, but we haven't got enough. He said, give God his first portion and then let him add the rest. And we did, and I've never looked back. It was the greatest lesson in my life on trust. He said, we're not going to have enough to get by. He said, God always comes through. And our vats have always overflowed with new wine. Our, our barns have always been, been filled. You know, in Old Testament times, people predominantly were farmers. 
which means they grew crops and they, they, uh, they bred livestock and their increase came as crops were harvested or as livestock reproduced. You know, you might be a businessman, you might be a tradie, you might be a professional, whatever means of income uh, you have in your life, that's where your increase comes from. And, and however it comes, if we will honor the Lord and the house of the Lord with the first fruits and the firstborn, the very first thing that hits our table, if we will give that to God, God then says, I can now see that you trust. And when you trust, I can now overflow your vats with new wine. I can now fill your barns with plenty if you'll just put me first. I've been reading over the last couple of uh, weeks, or the last couple of days, sorry, uh, the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 5. It's the chapter just before chapter 6. <laughs> Joshua chapter 6 is the taking of Jericho, the very first city that the Israelites seized. In Joshua chapter 5, Joshua has just consecrated the, the people of God afresh, the generation that had been born in the wilderness, had never been circumcised, and that was their ritual for consecration and being set apart. So he circumcises the entire generation, and they set up a camp in this place called Gilgal, and Joshua, I, I believe, had this sense in his heart, this, this knowing deep down in his heart that, that God was about to lead them to take the land. They, they'd had a number of uh, weeks just preparing and getting ready and waiting for the word of God. And, and at the end of Joshua chapter 5, the consecration has happened and Joshua is out walking in the plains of Jericho. I believe within view of the city, and I, I believe it was a prayer walk. I believe he was just out there in the presence of God, perhaps seeking for the now word of the Lord. And, and he's, he's looking at Jericho, and all of a sudden he looks up, and we read that, that he sees a man with a sword in his hand. And he, he thinks it's a man. And he goes over to him and he says, Are you for us or are you for our enemies? And the guy says very, very interesting thing. He said, Neither. But as commander of the armies of the Lord, I have come. I, I was always fascinated by that answer. I thought, well, then you've got to be for them. You're not against them because this is the people of God. And, and it's God that's led them to this place where they're ready to take their promise and step into all that they had been born for and created for as a nation to inhabit. And this guy comes and he says, I've come as the commander of the armies of the Lord. Then I think, well, you've got to be for them. You are against the enemies of Israel. You are for Israel. But he says, no, neither. I'm neither for you and I'm neither against you. But as commander of the armies of the Lord, I have now come. This is what I believe he was saying. He says, I I'm neither for you nor against you. I haven't come to take sides. I've come to take over. And that's what he's looking for in us. He's not, he's not looking to come and take your side and fulfill your dream and to establish your desires and your plans and your purposes. And God bless me. I want to get married. God, find me the right partner. I, I want to succeed in business. God, breathe on this business. I, I want to succeed in my relationships. Give me good, solid friends. God, that's your plan. And I'm not saying God doesn't have that as a plan in your life or for your life. God plans all those things for you, but it's still your plan. He wants to come and say, I haven't come for your plan. I've come to take over. And if you will put me first and allow me to take over, 
then you will find your vats will overflow with new wine. Your barns will always be filled. If you put kingdom purpose first and you seek first my plan, my purpose, the, the, the welfare of my house, the church that Jesus is building, you watch, you, uh, you stand back and see what happens if I'm allowed to take over. Yeah. He said, I, I'm not for you. I'm, I'm not against you. I haven't come to take sides. I've, I've come to take over. Now, here's the interesting thing. We then go into chapter 6. God says, I want you to take Jericho. Then he's told, you'll keep nothing for yourself. Jericho was a wealthy city, extremely wealthy city. He said, you'll destroy Jericho. And he said, the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, all the things of great value you will bring into the treasury of the house of the Lord. You will bring everything. You'll keep nothing for yourself. Why did God do that? Because the first fruits are his. The first is his. And again, the money thing was a test from God. Will you be faithful to this? Will you put me first? Will you trust me? You know, when you see what's behind the walls of Jericho, great temptation will come for you to say, I just have a little bit of this for myself. God doesn't need all this. God doesn't need any of it. But he needs you to trust. So he says, it's all It's all mine. Everything. And it's interesting, every other city that they took after that was theirs. But the first one belonged to God. But then this guy called Achan caused a real ache in the camp. Achan got greedy and helped himself. And he buried some of the silver, some of the gold, some of the bronze in the ground underneath his tent and sat on it thinking God will never find it. Silly man. And then, of course, they get cocky because they've just taken Jericho and all they did was shout. There was no great fight, no great battle. They just conquered that city. And then Joshua just says, look, let's just go and take Ai. And we don't even need the whole army. You guys go back and you know, chill out, put your feet up. Just a few of us will go up and take Ai. But Ai blew up in their face. Joshua is out now back on the plains praying and seeking God and whinging to God and complaining to God. You know, I thought you were with us. I thought you were going to take it. And then God brings a revelation to him. There's sin in the camp. You violated the firstborn. You violated the firstfruits. I said it was mine, but somebody has taken what was mine and kept it for themselves. You know, let, let, me, let me tell you this. If we... If we will put God first and we will give him the first fruits, we will begin to overcome. In verse 13 of chapter 7, when Joshua was whinging, God says, Get up, command the people to purify themselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says Hidden among you, O Israel, are things set apart for the Lord. Watch this. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you. We will never defeat the enemy of our soul. We will never overcome the devourer. We will never um, uh, rise up and be more than conquerors in life, living above and not beneath, being the head and not the tail. We will never rise up and do that until we start to put first things first and start seeking first the kingdom of God. You say, oh, I just don't know that I can do that. Well, then you're going to miss out because God says, if you will put me first, your vats will overflow and your barns will be filled. 
I read an interesting thing when I was off on holidays. The United States of America, the church in the United States of America, I think I've got the figures correct. I'm going off memory here now. I read it a few weeks back. The church world earned was $5.4 trillion. Not the church, the people in their jobs, their various professions, their businesses. I don't know how they worked it out, some kind of a survey, but they came to this figure that the church earned $5.4 trillion. Yet church offerings that are designed to establish the work of God in a very lonely, broken, dark planet only took in 1.7%. This guy said, can you imagine what the church could accomplish if every believer tithed? If every believer would put God first, if every believer would live by the principles of the firstborn, the principles of the firstfruits, what, what could the church accomplish? Now, I, I, I've always been reluctant to preach on this and talk on this because I'm the pastor and people think it's just me that gets the money. I wish but I don't. I just get a wage like everybody else does. But what the church can accomplish, if everybody put the work of God first, the kingdom of God first, the purpose of God first, not only would your vats overflow with new wine, not only would your barns be filled, but the house of God would be filled with so much resource to be able to do so much in this broken and hurting world in which we live. But it's interesting. At the same time, God said, you will always have enough and as I said we've gone down to the wire sometimes as a church and, and, and look honestly I've stressed over it I've lost sleep over it I've struggled what, what do we do if we can't pay the wages what do we do if we can't pay the bills what, what do we do if we can't meet the, the demands of running of a facility like this and I start to worry and stress and, and when John O reminded me of that prophetic word said you'll always have enough the amount of times we've gone down to the wire and at that very moment the right amount came in and I was like, God, couldn't you have just cut me a bit of slack? Just give me a little bit of breathing space just to know the bill can be paid. He's going, no, I'm not cutting you any slack. I want you to trust me. But he wants you to be the same. He wants you to be able to trust that he will always come through if we put God first. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to your life. You will never defeat your enemies, Joshua, until you deal with with the violation of the first fruits. When we get first things first by seeking first the kingdom, we will begin to overcome and live in the overflow of the Lord's blessing and protection. And I can testify to that. I can testify to that. I, Margot and I live a very comfortable life. Not extravagant, but a very comfortable life. And I can only put it down to putting God first putting God first and some of the means by which increase has come into our life we can only stand back and say well I didn't do that that wasn't my business smarts that wasn't my business acumen it wasn't my ability of God this is just your blessing and God once again you were just proving that you were faithful to your word that if I put you first you'll make sure all these things are added to my life father I pray this morning that every one of us Lord, will come to that place of trust, that place of being able to look to you and know that whatever the circumstance dictates, we will always come through with what we need and some. 
I pray, Lord, for abundance to come into this house. I pray for abundance to come into people's homes. But I pray, Lord, above everything else, that you first will be the priority. Your values, your kingdom, the church that you love and died for and gave, warts and all, the church that's been caught up in so much scandal is still standing today because you're building it. And I pray, Lord, today that we would be a church that constantly honors you, constantly honors you and puts you first. In Jesus' name.